this morning. And I always love these last chapters of Paul's epistles. Because what you see is, you see this human side coming out. Now, when I say the human side coming out, this is a very human chapter. I don't mean that to say that this is not a spirit-led chapter. Obviously, amen, it is. But you see a very personal side of Paul here as he starts mentioning and name-dropping all these different people. And it started making me think this morning as I was just kind of going through the lesson here and preparing it, the importance of the body of Christ. Now, we know this. We know how it's important for us to come together as a body. It's a struggle, though. You know, in Hebrews 10, probably one of the most famous passages on coming together, it says, Let us meet together in order to encourage one another to stir up good works. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That there's a blessing in coming and hopefully feeling encouraged in our walk with the Lord. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. There's no such thing as an island Christian. We're part of the body of Christ together. Psalm 122 says that I was happy when they said, Let us go into the house of the Lord. The joy, the blessing, the fellowship of that. So why is it so difficult to do? You know, it's really not something, it's really not something that as humans that sometimes we find easy to do. Now, why is that? Well, I think a lot of times it's because of people, right? I had somebody one time tell me that he'd come to church if it wasn't for the people, you know? Well, you can't have a church without the people. It makes it difficult. And what you see here in Paul's teaching in 2 Timothy 4, you see a lot of different people. You see Demas in verse 10, who's a backslider. You see Trophimus in verse 20, who's sick. You see Alexander in verses 14 and 15, who's evil. And in verses 16, you see a lot of emptiness because Paul felt that he was forsaken. So why would I want to come to church if I'm going to be around backsliders? That's even if they show up. I'm going to be around sick people, right? Because that's all we hear about is who's struggling with this or that. Why would I be around as outright evil people, Alexander? And why would I come and be amongst people but yet still feel an emptiness? You know, it's kind of interesting. Dawn and I were talking last Sunday after church, and I was just kind of going through the list of who was there, who wasn't there. And that's something I just kind of do. Okay, who haven't we seen in a while? Who do we need to follow up with? And I started thinking there was a few families we hadn't seen in a while. And I was just, you know, as a shepherd, like, I hope they're doing okay. And it just started, oh, man, I hope they're okay. I wonder what's going on. And Dawn and I were talking about people that come to church. And, and she made a comment that I've just, I've just never really thought of too much, that we shouldn't be surprised that people don't come to church. We should be surprised that people even come. Because think about this in life. Think about this in life. The things that we do in life that we supposedly enjoy is number one, because we have to. As we get closer to the holidays, you guys will have a calendar full of events that you have to do. And you'll put a smile on your face and enjoy them, right? Or we pay money. Think about that. Most everything we do in life is because we have to or because I paid money to do. How many things in life do we do and it's just totally, completely free? We don't charge you anything to come here. Which reminds me of a policy change starting next Sunday. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you just come. You just come to, to hopefully learn of the Lord, to have fellowship, to be encouraged, a time of worship, an opportunity to serve. You know, we've been talking a lot here this year about this idea of knowing and growing and going and sending out, knowing who God is. You know, Pastor Rich is teaching discipleship classes early in the morning here on Sunday, knowing who God is in a relationship with Christ, then growing in that relationship with Christ. That's why we have small group studies. That's why we have all these Bible studies. Let's get together as a small group intimately and just share with each other, encourage each other, and help each other. And then going, doing something. You know, every week we try to give you an opportunity to serve. 
You know, yesterday the kids came out and cleaned the church. Amen. We had a service project in Dashtra that we did. Amen. A blessing for those that came out. And you know what? We're going to have more projects. We've got stuff planned for December and January. We want to give you an opportunity to flex those spiritual muscles. Not just sit here and listen, but to say, Lord, how can I go? How can I go make a difference in my community and what I do and be a light and a witness for the Lord? That is the purpose of church. You've heard me say before that a lot of times I look at church as almost a staff meeting. It's the staff getting together to say, okay, what can we learn from? Who needs encouraged? Who needs supported? Who can we pray for? Okay, how can we get refreshed and equipped and then go? Get right back out in there. And that's what you see going on here in the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul has this desire for encouragement and fellowship. Look at verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Verse 21, do your utmost to come before winter. Paul desired this fellowship. He wanted this encouragement. It was difficult, though. Very difficult. Verse 13, bring the cloak that I left with you. Why does he need a cloak? He's in a dungeon. It's dark. It's cold. I doubt the Roman soldiers are coming around and checking in on people saying, do you need an extra blanket? Not going to happen. Chuck Swindoll has a, has a great uh, devotional that's called Come Before Winter. And it's based off of this passage right here of verse 21, do your utmost to come before winter. And one of the points that he says at the beginning of the devotional is this chapter here, chapter 4, is what he calls dungeon talk. This is the talk of a man in the dungeon. Hey, I, I need my cloak. It's cold. It's wet. Verse 13, I need the books. I need the parchment. Verse 21, hey, Timothy, try to get here before winter if you can. This is tough. As this spirit led, you bet. But you also see the human side of Paul, the ups, the downs, the struggles. And that's why I love this chapter so much, because you see what's going on in the body of Christ. So let's talk about this. What do we have? Verse 9, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Christians for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry in Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left for, with Carpus at Troas when you come in the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord has stood with me and strengthened me so that the message may, might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in my light is sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. You have a, such an amazing group of people listed there. Some of these people we don't know a lot about. Maybe this is the only reference to them in the Bible. Other people we have numerous references to, and we get a chance to see them. Now, the first one we want to talk about here is Demas, verse 10. Now, we mentioned Demas before. What did Demas do in verse 10? He has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's mentioned numerous times, Colossians 4, the book of Philemon. He was a servant for many years here with Paul. But he left. He left. And why did he leave? Verse 10, because he loved this present world. Well, first John tells us to not love the world or the things of the world, because the love of the Father is not in there. 
Now, what does that mean? Now, this morning coming out here to early church, I'm with Elias. We're driving here to church. Love these type of mornings. I love a crisp, cool fall morning. I love the frost on the ground. You see the steam coming off the ponds. I love it. Now, am I doing something wrong? No. I love what God has created. I'm enjoying his nature, his creation, etc. What that passage means when it says, do not love the world, or Redeemus has loved the world, it means he's loved this, the word is cosmos. He loves this system of greed. You know, the classic, the sex, drugs, rock and roll type stuff. That's what he wants. He wants that greed, that flesh. He loves the system of it. And Demas, well, the world got him. Well, why did the world get him? Well, Demas kind of wanted the world to get him. This happens in the body of Christ. People you see, and all of a sudden, they just kind of disappear. Where'd they go? Man, I served with them. We served together on the front lines of ministry, and all of a sudden you just kind of see them fall away from their walk in relationship with Christ. And it can be very, very difficult. And that's part of what you see in the body of Christ is the world gets them. Jesus talked about this a little bit in the parable of the sower and the seeds, where it says the cares of this world can choke you out. You can get entangled in the things of this world, and you can start loving the present world. And that's exactly what happened with Demas. You know, one thing the church can't do, the church can do a lot. One thing the church can't do, we can't compete with the world. The world can have the bells, the whistles, the lights. We're not called to try to compete with that. We're called to give an opportunity to worship, an opportunity to serve, an opportunity of fellowship, and to teach and preach the Word of God. That's what we're called to do. And the world will always have something a little fancier, a little nicer, a little more exciting. But our focus isn't on that. What is our focus on? The focus is on verse 17. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Our focus is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we as a church always have to remember that's the point. The world will always have better bells, whistles, and lights. Our focus is the message. And when that is your focus, things start to make more sense. I'm just here to present the truth of what 2 Timothy chapter 4 has to say today. You're here to hopefully learn and grow in that, to hopefully have the time of worship, to say, hey, the Lord stirred me in that area. I'm going to go serve in that capacity because maybe the Lord has stirred you in that. And then we encourage one another. We build each other up. We've been saying this for numerous weeks here. Uh, you know, I learned it at the pastor's conference a few weeks ago. The purpose of the church is to equip the saints, not whip the saints. And that's the point is we want to equip people. Now, there's been times out here where I'm guilty of you. You want to whip and you want to get going and you try to push things. Nah, you've got to equip them, not whip them. And so what happens is we want to give you that opportunity. Our focus is the message, verse 17. See, but in the midst of the Demases that are falling away... Don't ever forget these guys, verse 10. Cretans, Titus, Tychius, verse 12. you got these great people mentioned in verses 19 through 21. These are servants. Servants out there serving that no one may even know about. See, it's so easy for us to focus on the people that are falling away when really there's so many people growing and hopefully going deeper in their walks and relationships with Christ. Yes, there's people that are hurting. But there's also people that are growing. There's marriages that are hurting. There's hopefully marriages being healed. There's people walking away, but hopefully there's people going deeper. This is the body of Christ. 
I heard a pastor say recently that really hit me. The church has never been called to be a highly efficient business. The church is called to be a living, breathing organism. Now, I'm guilty of that because I want the highly efficient system. I want the people that signed up to be where they're signed up. I want the people that said they're going to do this to take care of this. And you want to run it that way. But we're called to be the body of Christ. And you know what happens in a typical body? I know in my typical body, sometimes my ankle hurts. It's not working real good. Sometimes my arm hurts. Sometimes I have a headache. I am a living, breathing organism that sometimes has areas that are not as efficient as I want them to be. Sometimes in the body of Christ, you have areas and ministries that are not as efficient as you want them to be. They're not working right. Okay, God is working through that still. So in the body of Christ, we have the Demases, but we also have the Tituses. We have the Alexanders, but we also have the Tychiuses. That is part of what's going on in the body of Christ. So, what other things are going on here in the body of Christ? We've talked about the Demas is falling away. Well, look at verse 20. We have sickness. Trophimus, I have left in Miletia sick. Now, if you're a note taker and you want to write this down, Trophimus' name means nutritious. I don't know if that's God's joke or what, but Trophimus' name means nutritious. And he's sick. People get sick. People get sick in the body of Christ. You hear this teaching of the health, wealth, and happiness. And God does want to bless you because God loves you. But this idea of sickness is part of a cursed, fallen world. Why do we get sick? We get sick because we live in a cursed, fallen world. I heard a pastor say years ago, I've never forgot it. Heart disease and cancer doesn't kill you. Sickness is what kills you through the curse. Sin is what kills you. Heart disease and cancer just speeds up the process. And that's the truth. You will die, I will die because of sin. Now, what form does that take? It can take many different forms. And sickness is part of that. You know, in Elisha, in 2 Kings 13, the Bible makes it clear that he became sick with the sickness that would lead to his death. This is Elisha. This is Elisha that could do most anything. He would raise people from the dead. He could do this. He could do that. But he became sick, and that sickness led to his death. His sickness led to his death. Part of the body of Christ is that you're going to be around people struggling physically. There will be sickness. There will be surgeries. There will be difficult times. What are we supposed to do? Love them. Pray for them. Encourage them. One of my favorite verses with that is uh, Psalm 41, verse 3, that the Lord will sustain you on your bed of illness. Psalm 41, 3. It is the job of the body of Christ to see those that are struggling physically and say, we want to be there to help and encourage you. What can we do? Because sickness is part of this world we live in. What else do we have in the body of Christ? We have the Demases that are falling away. We have the sickness. What do we also have? We have Alexander. Back to verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. You'll run into Alexanders. Now, we talked about Alexanders when we first started Timothy. You'll run into Alexanders that just want to do you harm. And you may not have done anything to deserve it. You may have sat there and said, what have I done? That's the thing about the Alexanders. We don't know what, what he did. We don't know what's going on between him and Paul. And if you remember correctly, when we did that study a few weeks ago, and we mentioned and we made this point that the details don't matter. Because we have a tendency to get focused on details, don't we? We have been hurt, we have been harmed, and so what matters is the details of why it happened. It doesn't. I don't know how many times people have called me up and they said, Pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with this situation, there's this guy... And I'm really having a hard time with it, and it's struggling. And I say, okay, it sounds like what we need to do is this. Luke 6, let's pray for our enemies. Uh, pray that they would be blessed to go deeper in the Lord. And they say, yep, I agree, we need to pray for them. First, let me tell you what he did. 
Nope, details don't matter because what happens is we'll get worked up on the details. What we just need to do is focus on Jesus Christ and keep our eyes on him because what they did doesn't matter per se, but can we love them and forgive them and pray for them? Yeah, you're right, Pastor. But first, let me tell you what he did. We're all like that. We're all like that. I do the same thing with Dawn. I come home, oh, you won't believe what this person did. James, it doesn't matter. You're right. But let me tell you what he did. You know, because what happens is we think we're going to feel better by giving out all the gory details. And in some ways that is helpful. But what I've noticed a lot for me is I just get myself worked back up again. All of a sudden what somebody did to me at 8 o'clock in the morning, now at 8 o'clock in the evening, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still stewing over it. And every time I tell somebody else a story, I get myself all worked up again. Or if I tell someone the story and they don't listen appropriately, then I get angry at them for not getting worked up like I got worked up. So if I go home and I tell Dawn what this person did to me and she doesn't respond accordingly, great, now I have two people I'm ticked at. I'm ticked at the person that bothered me. Now I'm ticked at Dawn for not being bothered that the person bothered me. And it just keeps getting worse. But we struggle with this. I remember years ago, I was at Ottawa. I was at Ottawa Walmart, and I got a phone call from somebody in the church that said, hey, there's this person that's going around, and they're saying things about you. They're saying things about the church. And it was really frustrating. It was really annoying. And I told the person on the phone, listen, we've got to let this go. It's not a big deal. We're going to give this over to the Lord, and we're just going to let the Lord take care of it. And the guy on the phone said, yeah, that sounds good. So I get off the phone with him. What I immediately start doing, trying to call every single board member I can to say, listen, listen to what this person's doing. I literally went through every board member and I could not get a hold of one single person. And I felt like the Lord spiritually tapped me on the shoulder and said, James, what about me? Can't you talk to me about this? See, verse 17, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. See, that's the point. Luke tells us this in Luke chapter 6, that we're supposed to pray for enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who curse you. Pray for them. See, what prayer does, and we mentioned this last week, you've heard this point before, prayer may not change the situation, but prayer changes how you look at the situation. You start looking at people, hopefully, through the eyes of Christ. Not what they've done to harm you, but hopefully looking at them the way Jesus looks at them. Go with me, if you will, to Romans 12. Romans 12, please. Great passage here on how we're supposed to handle these difficult people, these Alexanders that are trying to cause us evil, trying to cause us harm. Romans chapter 12. Now, as we get ready to read this passage, I want you to stop, and I want you to think of the Alexander in your life. Maybe it's a coworker, Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a spouse, a child. I don't know. But this person that's just causing evil in your life. How am I supposed to handle this, Lord? Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, that's an important verse. As much as depends on you. See, you can do everything right, and Alexander will still hate you. They'll just still hate you. You can do everything right, and the person can still hate you. But you're called to do what's right, not on how they react, but just because it's the right thing to do. Verse uh, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not your job to make the Alexanders of this world suffer. Well, they can't get away with that. They can't say that. Someone needs to stand up to him. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What am I supposed to do then? Verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. 
For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, when we go down to the Alexander's level and we repay evil with evil, we have now overcome evil with evil. And that never works. We're supposed to overcome evil with good. That idea of, I'm going to represent Jesus Christ no matter how difficult or tough the situation is, and you bet it's hard. That's why the example that was set for us is Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus set the example. And in the body of Christ, you'll have the Demises that are going backwards instead of forwards. You will have the uh, um, Trophimuses that are sick. And you'll also have the Alexanders that it's just evil. But you know what else you'll have in the body of Christ? You'll have verse 11. You'll have Mark. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me for ministry. Now, you need to know the background of Mark. This is a pretty big verse here in verse 11. If you've never studied out the book of Acts, this may not seem that big a deal to you, but let me give you some background. Acts chapter 12, Mark is mentioned. Mark is part of a prayer group in Acts chapter 12. Now, we don't know a lot about him, but we can kind of piece together. He seems like he was a young man meeting in a prayer group. It looks like it was in his house, and Paul was attending this prayer group. Well, at the end of Acts 12, Paul's getting ready to go on a missionary journey. So it's time for Mark to take the next step. I can kind of see how this works. Paul and Mark are talking to each other after prayer meetings. Paul says, boy, Mark, you got a real heart for the Lord. And Mark says, oh, I just love Jesus, right? Paul says, hey, we're getting ready to go on a missionary trip. You want to come with us? Mark's young. Mark's excited. Mark says, sure. Now, I'm not trying to put down missionary trips. I don't mean it that way. But Paul's missionary trips and acts are not like the missionary trips that we have today. So Mark goes along. Probably starts out excited, right? Well, middle of Acts 13, Mark leaves. He just leaves. He departs from them. So now we're in Acts 15. If you can go to Acts 15 with me, please. Paul gets ready to go on another missionary journey. And as they're getting ready to go on a missionary journey, they're trying to decide who to take with them. And this is the story we have going on now in Acts 15, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. Barnabas. Barnabas says, hey, I want to take along my relative here, Mark, and I'm determined to do that. That word determined is a very interesting word. Some of your translations may say resolved. What that word literally means, it's a political word that means that this is the best idea. This is not a suggestion. This is not would it work out. This is me coming and saying this is the absolute best idea, and I will not bend or break on this. We're taking Mark with us. Now, what you can piece together from the Bible is Paul was a loving man who loved Christ and loved the spreading of the gospel. But I don't think Paul was the type of person that you could buddy up with. If you were in the body of Christ back then 2,000 years ago and you had a rough day at the camel shop and you had to choose, am I going to go talk to Barnabas, whose name means son of rest or son of encouragement, or am I going to go talk to Paul? Okay, you go talk to Paul. Paul had a rough day at the camel shop. Well, so did I. I got stoned in Antioch. You want to talk about it? I mean, that'd be Paul, right? Barnabas, let's sit down. Let's pray about this. Tell me about it. That's Barnabas. Encouraging, right? Paul, very to the point. Let's get going here. Now, Paul loved the body of Christ. There's no doubt about that. But Paul also was very focused on what he was doing, a very serious man about this. So Barnabas says we're taking Mark. Verse 38. Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them, and Pamphylia had not gone with them to the work. Paul says, I'm not taking the guy that's going to quit halfway through again. 
Not going to do it. Verse 39, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Here's your first church split. Barnabas says we're taking them. Paul says we're not. And in verse 39, then the contention became so sharp. They couldn't stop and just say, well, you know what, Barnabas, I don't see it from your perspective. God be with you and Mark. Barnabas couldn't say, well, you know what, Paul, I I don't really see it from your perspective, but you know what, Silas is a good guy. Hey, let's all get together, lay hands on each other and pray and amen and God bless. No, they both were right. So who was really right? Well, you know, church likes to teach that Paul was right because Acts follows Paul. We don't ever hear about Barnabas' trip, right? But you ever think that maybe they were both right? Paul was right. We can't take Mark. We don't know what's going to happen. He may jump ship again. We need to have somebody who can trust. Silas has proven we're taking him. Okay, Paul, you're right. But maybe Barnabas was right. Hey, guys, Mark screwed up. But you know what we need to do? We need to take him again, encourage him, uplift him, help him through this. Barnabas, son of encouragement. Couldn't they both be right? See, here's the thing. In the body of Christ, we've had the Demases, we have the, we have the sick ones, we have the Alexander, right? But we also have people that are on their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth chance. And it's going to keep repeating. And God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. If you're going through our small group studies out here, you know how many chances Jonah gets. Okay, Mark, he needed another shot. And he needed the encouragement of Barnabas. So when you read this now, back in 2 Timothy 4, where Paul says, get Mark and bring him with me for he's useful for me for ministry, that's huge. That's restoration. And you see in the body of Christ, you see restoration. As believers, we're supposed to be restoring one another, forgiving one another, moving forward. That's the goal. Why do we forgive? Because Christ Jesus forgave us. Listen, we only have so much time and energy in our day. And if as a church, we have fighting against each other, how much energy is left to spread the gospel? If as a church, we're trying to compete with other churches to say we're the best, well, then how much energy is left to spread the gospel? There's not enough time or energy in the day to have silly, foolish arguments, to have fights, to have these type of things. We need to restore, forgive, move on, and then focus on the eternal matters of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you read verse 11, uh, don't skip over that. That's the beauty of restoration. So what else do we have in the body of Christ here? We have needs. Verse 13, bring the cloak that I left with you. Left with carpets at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments, as we mentioned before, the cloak. Why? He's in the dark, wet dungeon. He needs that. He needs that warmth. And what else does he need? The books, the parchments. What are the books and parchments? We don't know for sure. Some people believe it was just uh, paper that he could write on to continue taking notes, to continue writing letters. We don't know. Some people believe that the idea of the books may refer to some of the works going around of some of the gospel message there. And the parchments could be examples of the Old Testament papers that they had. I like that one. Here's Paul in the deep, dark dungeon. What does he want? I need a coat. I want my commentaries. I want my Bible. Boy, that's pretty cool. What did Paul just say in the previous book, 1 Timothy 6? Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
And what he basically said, food and clothing, that's all we need. How simple is that? Paul in the dungeon, once again, doesn't say, Lord, release me. He says, bring me my coat, bring me the books, bring me the parchments, and let me focus on that. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize when I'm going through difficult times, what do I need? I just need the Lord and his word. I just do. When Paul is talking about what Alexander did, look at verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. The Lord stood with me. I joke a lot about my wife. I do. But I love her. Next to, next to salvation, she's the greatest thing that God has ever given me. But after nearly 20 years together, I really realized that she's not that encourager. I, I joke about that, but that's the truth. You know who my encourager is? It's the Lord. And, and I need to realize that. And I think sometimes what happens is we expect so much out of another human being. And then we get frustrated. Well, I went to that prayer meeting and I didn't feel refreshed. I went to the small group meeting. No one talked to me. I called the pastor. couldn't get a hold of him. And so then we walk away feeling hurt, disappointed by the body of Christ. It's the Lord who strengthens you. We want to be there. We love you. And I cannot stress that enough. But we're also humans. Paul says, everybody left, but I have the Lord. The Lord who strengthened me. And that phrase for strengthened is really a fascinating word. Keep your hand here in 2 Timothy. Just jump back to Acts 9 real quick. Acts 9. Acts 9 is is Paul's uh, conversion. And there's a really interesting phrase there in Acts 9. We're going to pick it up here in Acts 9, verse 20. In Acts 9, verse 20, this is after Paul gets saved, it says this, Immediately he preached uh, the Christ in the synagogues, that is, the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, that phrase there in verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength. That's a really interesting word in the Greek. It's only used a few times in the New Testament. It's not your typical word for strengthened. But it's interesting that it's used here, and then it's also used in verse 17 of the same chapter of 2 Timothy 4, where it says, The Lord strengthened me. What is the point of this? At the beginning of Paul's ministry, what happens? God strengthens him. At the end of Paul's ministry, what happens? God strengthens him. Same word. The bookends of Paul's life on this earth all deal with this word, strengthened. Why did Paul need strength at the beginning? Because in Acts 9, look at verse 23. Now after many days are passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. At the beginning of Paul's ministry, people wanted to kill him. At the end of Paul's ministry, guess what? People wanted to kill him. How would you like that? Your first day at work, hey, I want to kill you. Last day at work, hey, I want to kill you. That's what he does. The Lord strengthens him, though, from the beginning to the end. That's why when we read in Hebrews 13, when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have to remember that. There is a whole nother level of the Lord being with you always. And Paul, looking back now at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And you know, you know who is with me always? The Lord. The Lord is one who strengthened me always. 
Why? Because verse 17, that the message, remember our first point, it's the message that we're supposed to be as a church. The message might be preached fully through me that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord is the one that's going to deliver Paul. Now, if you're quick to thinking, how was Paul delivered? Oh, they killed him. Okay, that doesn't really seem like deliverance, right? See, I expect the Acts story of the angel came down, the little earthquake, the jail cell opened. No, the Lord delivered him. And how did the Lord deliver him? Through death. Where is a body of Christ, have we got to the point now, where death equals defeat? I don't get that. Death is not defeat. See, death has already been defeated. 1 Corinthians makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your sting? That's why we sing victory in Jesus. Paul's deliverance was his death. Psalm 116 says this, Precious in the eyes of God is the death of one of his saints. If I do a funeral for a believer, I love going to that passage to say, Death is not defeat. Death is victory. Death is, you've done your time of service. Come home. For Paul... I'm going to be delivered. How? Through death. So when you see in the body of Christ here, as we put this all together, in verses 9 through 22, you get a snapshot of the human side of Paul. I need my cloak. I need the books. I need the parchments. Verse 9, oh, come quickly, Timothy. Verse 21, come here before winter. You see the human side of Paul. He's struggling. This is hard. You see the body of Christ and you have these amazing servants. You have Titus and Tychius and all these other guys. Amen. But you also have the Demases that have left and gone to the world. You have the sickness that we battle. The Trophimus is battling. You have Alexander who's doing evil. But you also have restoration and forgiveness in Mark. And you see all of this. This is what a typical week of the body of Christ is. People grow and get strengthened. People fall away, but hopefully they come back. People do evil things. People are restored. People are forgiven. Needs are being met. And this is what the body of Christ is. And verses 9 through 22, you have it all. But the key focus being verses 17 and 18. The Lord is the one who is with you. The message is the focus. And God will deliver you and take care of you in all ways and all things. What I want to close with is this. Can you go with me to Hebrews 13? I made reference to it, but let's finish with this. Hebrews 13. Marv, if you want to come forward here for the final song. In this cursed, fallen world in which we live in, what do we need to remember and know? Hebrews 13, verse 5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And Paul is living that at the end of his life. It's the Lord who strengthens. It's the Lord who gets him through. And what a beautiful picture to end with the life of Paul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just focus on that, it's the Lord who strengthens. You are the one that will never leave us nor forsake us. You are our helper. Thank you. Lord, for those demons that we run into that are moving backwards instead of forwards, 
Speak to their hearts. Speak to their hearts that there will be no joy, no peace in what the world has to offer. Help them to see that there is no allure to that. And for us to pray for them to have their hearts strengthened in you. Lord, for the Trophimuses that are battling sickness, be with them physically, uplift them and encourage them. For those Alexanders that we run into, in the name of Jesus, help us to love and forgive. To not allow their evilness to overcome us, but to overcome evil with good. Lord, help us to meet the needs of the body of Christ as those needs are there. People need cloaks, they need Bibles, they need parchments. Help us to meet those needs as you lead us. And I just think of the potluck and the bridges and the Operation Christmas Child, the small groups. We talk about all these things. None of this means anything without you. Your spirit lead, guide, and direct. Help us just not to hear, but to hear and go and send into the areas you're calling us through your spirit. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. And we lift this up in your name. Amen.